0: Infinite Guest, this is Top Score, a weekly visit with contemporary composers who make video game soundtracks. I'm Emily Reese. Composer Jason Graves wrote incredible soundtracks for the Dead Space series of games. He worked on you know, Dead Space 1, Dead Space 2, and Dead Space 3. And he also wrote the score for 2013's Tomb Raider now. I'm telling you all of this because coming up next month, you can hear Jason Graves again in the new game, The Order 1886. This game is so off the hook. I can't wait for this game. It's probably going to be too scary for me to play, but we'll see. It's set in Victorian London, and there are things called half-breeds in there, so we'll see if I make it or not. But in any event, I am stoked to hear the music for sure. So while we wait to hear Jason's new tunes, let's revisit the conversation I had with Jason not long after Tomb Raider came out. Let's talk about designing a theme for Laura.
1: That was one of those things I'm glad I didn't know, or at least I didn't think about it as much as I could have when I first started. Because it was the first thing I did with the project. And I always do my themes on piano because it seems to be just the most simple form of music. And I usually do them in a very, you could almost play it with your index fingers, you know, very Mm -hmm. simple. And it just so happened that that general approach worked out really well for the idea of Lara's origin story, how she was also very simple, just out of school, not a lot of experience. So I didn't necessarily think that Crystal would go for a, pitch of just using a piano and something that simple on solo piano, but I sent it to them with the intention of kind of having the whole package presented in one 30-second snippet so that they didn't have to imagine too much as far as the most simple basic version of the theme. And, of course, they wanted to hear... What would it sound like if it were heroic, or what would it sound like maybe if it were sad? Can you have a positive ending instead of kind of a simple, <laughs> quiet ending? And we did a little bit of that. I mocked some things up in the computer, but the the theme itself, as far as sitting down at the keyboard and figuring out what the chords were going to be, I spent a couple of hours on it and was one of those things. I just left it alone for the rest of the day and did something else, came back the next day and thought, let's just send it over to him and see what happens. Honestly, expecting many iterations and the sure. fact that they never changed anything, if I knew how trusting they were from the beginning, I probably would have thought about it a lot more, which <laughs> would not have been good. Right. You know, it, was, it was really good that I just kind of sent it to see what they thought and that ended up being what we used.
0: though, what you did with that very simple theme for Lara, you used it to build all the other themes in the game too. Can we talk about how Lara's theme relates to the island or Roth in the game? Oh, yes, please.
1: Because (laughs) thematic building and, and developing themes in a score is my absolute favorite thing to do. And There's not a lot of thematic material in any of the Dead Space stuff, Right. not the way I would enjoy doing it. So this was really my first chance to truly take a very select handful of themes, pepper them throughout the score, and and develop them the way that I really enjoy doing Mm -hmm. it. So my idea from the beginning was to be as simple as possible, maybe have four notes total, that Mm -hmm. within those four notes, whatever the direction the notes were playing, even if they weren't in the same rhythm as the quote unquote final theme, those four, three or four notes would instantly let you know which character you were thinking about. Mm -hmm. And the first two themes were Laura's theme and Matthias's theme, who's the bad guy in the game. Yeah. I also love the idea of having a theme for the island, literally just four notes. So I took Laura's theme, her first four notes, which is just a step up and then a step down with a leap and kind of compacted the step up and the step down at the beginning so it's just a half step and then the leap instead of making this you know, heroic leap to a, a fifth or something like that I a, made it a major seven so it's a very got half steps and then a major seven it's the exact same shape as Laura's theme, but the intervals are all honky. You know, they're all wacky. <laughs>
0: well, and-, and they're they're not as uh, resolved. They they're not as um oh, what's a good way to explain it to a non-musician? They Laura's theme uh, has closure to it and the island theme is a, a little bit mo- more dissonant. It's not as uh not as pleasing to the ear, you know.
1: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of fact, it's completely the opposite of consonant. Right. Um, where Laura's sounds very resolved, the island theme, it's all half steps. And none mm-hmm. of the notes actually occur in any of their scales. So no matter when you play it, <laughs> it's kind of like, whoa, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Your, your ear kind stand of on, stands on its end. And I really like the island theme, the way it worked. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing for Matthias's theme is literally taking those four notes and just reversing them. And that was Matthias's theme. And what I loved about it is Laura, her theme starts out very simple, only a couple of notes. And the idea I had was the island is shaping who she is as a person and, mm-hmm. a, and a character. So mm-hmm. it's kind of giving her some of the aspects of its theme, but she's using it in a malleable state and creating consonants with it within yes. her theme. Yes. Where with Matthias, he was completely corrupted by the island, so his is the exact opposite of what Laura did. As a matter of fact, it's so close to the island that it's the exact same intervals, just completely reversed. I I love the the brainy aspect (laughs) that even if people don't really pick up on it, you can you can kinda talk about it and think, oh wow, that's that's neat. There's actually some intent behind these themes. Crystal had a very specific arc for Laura in general, uh, specifically, but in general, how many hours of gameplay there were going to be, where the highlights would be for the big kind of Hollywood epic, oh my gosh, did that just happen, kinds of moments. (laughs) And then they were very specific about placing downtime. So, a lot of it for me was already road mapped out, and it would just be a matter of following the gameplay and then kind of reacting to what I saw. Yeah. I think it was really important to have that balance, um, especially the first third of the game when she's still trying to figure everything out and you know you're acquiring new skills and leveling up her character and she's upgrading her character and she's upgrading her theme at the same time the theme's building as laura's capabilities increase and the music is also in general just building because combat stuff at first when you're trying to get out of the den or fighting a wolf or Mm -hmm. that's small scale
0: Yeah. (laughs) Musically,
1: you know, compared to what you encounter the maybe the last third of the game when all the big taiko drums and kind of the epic sound really comes out.
0: Let's talk about the instrument. Just tell the whole story because it's such a great story. You had a a friend, a neighbor per se, who who made you an instrument. Let's let's hear about it.
1: The idea was there was someone that I knew that I I knew through Facebook. It was called McConnell Studios. And I just looked him up and his Facebook page, he's a sculptor and an artist and he had these really cool looking things on it. Mm -hmm. So that was maybe three months before I actually contacted him. I was at that point in time using some chicken fencing and garbage cans and things around my backyard trying to scavenge if you will. Yeah. Some interesting sounds. And I realized very quickly I wasn't as adept at scavenging as I thought <laughs> because I can gather stuff great but I couldn't yeah. attach anything. I needed someone with a blowtorch, you know, some <laughs> fire and welding yeah. and yeah. something that I was th- completely beyond my capability. So I remembered seeing his Facebook thing, so I sent him a Facebook message. We ended up talking on the phone and he seemed really nice. He said, "You should come by. This is my address." I was standing upstairs in my bedroom window, and I was literally looking out the window, and that was his building. It's about <laughs> three-minute walk from wow. my place. So we met, and what was going to be kind of, you take an oil drum and you know weld some things to it so I can bang on it and bow it turned into a 14-month collaboration wow. of building a truly commissioned sculpture. <laughs> slash instrument from Crystal Dynamics. And I never would have planned on doing it that way, but the result is Matt McConnell is his name. Matt's enthusiasm just for loving what he does and experimenting and trying to do something new and learning, which is the exact same enthusiasm <laughs> I have about music. Yeah. His enthusiasm plus Crystal's genuine, just go ahead and do whatever, we trust you, and yeah. we're sure it's going to sound great. That's that's what enabled us to do that. dictated any design, physical design elements to Matt. I fed him everything I could about the game. Mm -hmm. And he came over and watched gameplay and I played all lots of music for him and we started just narrowing it down to materials in general. I knew I wanted something metal and something glass. We Mm -hmm. thought maybe we'd try some wood and we did, but it didn't work. It just sounded like a goofy sounding xylophone. We (laughs) didn't want anything tuned. Because the point of the work that Matt was doing was to literally represent the island in physical form, and anytime I played on whatever it is he was going to make, I wanted it to be a signature kind of sound, where literally you could walk up and bang it and go, oh, that sounds just like Tomb Raider. I didn't know if we'd be able to do it, but we definitely tried, and it was amazing, Mm. all of the sounds that came out. So, you know, we settled on three basic ideas. There was a kind of a big pot with spikes and things out of it that I could bow or tap those were the scavenger sounds. And then we had four pipes that almost looked like they came out of some twisted metal grandfather clock almost. <laughs> so they're these beat up kind of pointy old pipes. And those were a direct representation of the Oni, which is kind of the other set of mm-hmm. bad guys on the island. And then what quickly became my favorite as I was working on it But was the last thing that came online Are the glass bowls And yeah. those are literally the island in sound So mm. we would we would save the glass bowls There were only three of them They were always the same three pitches Usually two of them playing at the same time So as the island kind of becomes A more prevalent character in the story As the game progresses You hear those bowls more and more often And by the end they're kind of banging away all the time I never imagined that the whole instrument would have come together as well as it did visually and sonically in the in the score. I'm just tickled to death.
0: <laughs> when we spoke a couple of years ago, there are a couple of things I want to bring up again. Uh, you mentioned a little hesitation or maybe a little personal shame about the fact that you're a drummer, but <laughs> this score. Uh, gave you, I think, plenty of opportunities to to show just what kind of drummer you are. Right? There are drums everywhere, and you played a, a ton of them. On, you recorded yourself a lot, right?
1: Yes, yes. That's. I think everyone does the best when they play to their strengths. So, until Tomb Raider, I'd never been able to record myself simply because I'd never been in a place that I could do a decent recording, mm-hmm. and. I spent about three and a half years building a new studio, and it's a standalone studio in my backyard, and I moved in about six months into the two and a half year music cycle for Tomb Raider. So I thought, well, I'm in this studio, and you know they put in microphone lines, and I've got some microphones, and I should, I should try this out just to see what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And by golly, if it didn't sound <laughs> 10,000 times better, just... Not even being, I mean, I didn't go to school for recording or engineering or anything like that, but mm-hmm. putting the microphone in front of the drum, kind of moving it around until it sounded good in my headphones and playing something. <laughs> and, you know, halfway decent mic, good converters, good equipment into the computer. Mm-hmm. And boy, I mean, <laughs> it not only did it it sound really live and wonderful, it had a lot of air and presence to it, but I found that I wrote differently when I was actually had my hands on an instrument as opposed to oh, tapping my fingers on the keyboard. I could probably write twice as fast playing real instruments than if I was hunting and pecking around in the computer trying to find something to fit what I was hearing in my head.
0: One of my favorite scenes is when Lara climbs the radio tower, and this is a a very special scene, and you actually had to go through a few versions before you settled on the right one. Can we hear that story?
1: We saved that until the end of production. Not the very end, but it was close to the end. We had about (laughs) 90% of the music finished.
0: Oh, wow, because this is fairly early in the game, really.
1: It is. Yeah. It is, and they were tweaking the gameplay, so... I didn't score anything in the game until it was kind of online, not necessarily approved and completed, but online enough where I could I could play through it. Sure. And the radio tower climb, everybody on board knew that it was going to be an important moment in the game and it was kind of the only false positive feeling that you're you're supposed to get because she does she does what she's supposed to do and kind of the game's been building up to this until then, but then of course things go downhill quickly mm-hmm. afterwards. So when we finally were ready to put the music in it I did a kind of quietly trepidatious unsure version of her climb and we had it in three stages as she as she ascended it got a little quieter and a little more kind of open and I was trying to mirror kind of her altitude as she went up. Mm-hmm. And I thought it played okay. I didn't really... I was like, ah, I don't know. Usually <laughs> I'd do something and yeah, that sounds great. Let me send it. I can't wait to hear what they thought, they think. Yeah. And I sent it to them and they said, yeah, um, you know, uh, maybe it needs to be a little more confident. I thought they're probably right because it was just missing something. Yeah. So I did something more confident, but the whole time I was doing it, I was thinking confident. This is too confident. It's not... <laughs> it's not Nathan Drake, you know? We're not... You know, yeah. <laughs> Yes, let's climb the tower. It still needs to be it still needs to have some sort of a sense of, of unease to it. Mm-hmm. But I sent it anyway and they agreed immediately. And they were going to cut together kind of a version between those two and I said, "No, no, 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 don't don't edit. Let me let me send the third version for you." So I did something kind of in between. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to work okay better than the other two, but it, something was still missing and Alex Wilmer, who implemented most of the music, actually ended up taking the stingers that I did a couple of things happen when she's climbing
0: Mm -hmm.
1: birds fly out or a ladder breaks kind of little oh my gosh moments so he took those from the first version I did the middle section of the climb I think is from the first version then he took the more confident part of the third version and that's towards the top and he started it with the third version beginning (laughs) that I put in there and I can't believe I actually explained that correctly but that's exactly (laughs) what he did and he sent it to me And for a second I was thinking, I don't, wait, that, oh, oh, I see. And I watched (laughs) it again and I, I love the final result. and once we had that in place I scored the final cinematic mm. of that scene which is one of my favorite cinematics just because of the the cinematography it's funny to use that word when you're talking about a video game but the camera yeah. work in Tomb Raider is brilliant and the cinematography of that shot when she's up there and it's kind of you get the wide aspect and it's spinning around her and the orchestra crescendos and you actually have gasp, a major chord (laughs) you know, the the payoff that we've been building up to for hours and hours to that moment in the game was just wonderful to be able to execute cellist at the symphony here comes over and plays on a lot of stuff for me. So he played and um, I think for Tomb Raider that was it. Everything else was either me playing all those instruments we've been talking about or me playing, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the orchestra sounds that are from my, my own personal uh, library of things that I've been building up over
0: the years. Sure. And that, by the way, is not a cheap task, is it? I mean, that's an <laughs> investment, isn't it?
1: Yes, it's definitely a long-term investment, both in money and in time. Um, oh, okay. I recorded uh, the brass that I used on Tomb Raider that I really love the way you know the French horns and trombones and everything sound. But I recorded that two and a half years ago, and that's how long it took me to kind of bring all of those sounds online so I could play them on the keyboard. I mean, there, there's literally hundreds of thousands of individual hand-cut hand tweaked and organized little tiny samples so every time I play a key you know it's triggering all of these things Mm -hmm. just at a millisecond's notice but what's great is it sounds really close to being live and I love that I'm the only one that has those sounds.
0: When we uh, talked a couple of weeks ago in Boston, one of the things that I was talking with you about kind of behind the scenes was gear. And one of the questions that everyone asks me all the time is what kind of gear you all use. And I never ask because I don't care. <laughs> I mean I care but it's like it's not my that's not the way my mind thinks about it. So I asked you about it and you said, "You know what? We all use the same stuff anyway. Can you tell me a little bit about that?"
1: Yeah, I think I was speaking more towards the sounds themselves because there's only a finite number of commercially available sound libraries out there whether you're talking right. about orchestra or percussion. The gear, you know, that is a big thing. I I get it. I mean, I love to talk about gear too. And I've got I've accumulated some really great gear. But the bottom line is it's really not the gear. I remember I always thought in college or right out of college, oh, if I could only get that fill in the blank mm-hmm. orchestra library, then then I would be able to do whatever it is I was trying to do. Yeah. I'd get the library and it sounded great, but then I, my brain was on to the next thing. Well, now I need the blah, blah, blah library. and yeah. Or I need that mic pre to be able to record this percussion sound the way I want. And really what it comes down to is the, the music. And gear can help it sound better, but mm-hmm. the music, you know, the composition, the arranging and the mixing, that's that's the stuff that really makes the difference and distinguishes one composer from another.
0: Well, Jason, um, thank you so much for for talking to me. I loved this game. It came off so, so well. Just really loved it all.
1: I really appreciate it. It's a just wonderful project to be involved on.
0: Thank you for listening to Top Score. Top Score is part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. You can learn more by following Infinite Guest on Twitter at Infinite Guest. You can also learn more about composer Jason Graves and see a playlist from this episode at infiniteguest.org. And you can listen to our other programs there too, like Home Dunk with John Moe or Secret Skin with Open Mike Eagle. It's all at infiniteguest.org. TopScore's production assistants are Pierce Huxtable and Nina Paddock. Mark Hintz mixes each episode. TopScore is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Artworks. You can follow TopScore on Twitter and Facebook at TopScore Podcast. That's TopScore. I'm Emily Reese.